You're listening to Spice Radio, 1200 AM's The Morning Buzz, and we are speaking to Margaret Adovgal, Managing Director at Resource Works Society. And this week's topic, a momentous occasion for Indigenous Canadians, pathways to economic reconciliation, and the latest in Canadian politics and energy. Margaret, thank you so much for joining us this morning. As always, pleased to be here. Good morning. Now, this was huge news, Margareta. Just this week, Manitoba voters elected the provincial NDP, making Wab Canoe their party's leader, the first Indigenous premier in the country. Tell us, what have you been hearing from Indigenous leaders? Well, the mood is certainly elated, and I'm hearing especially from those in the centre and towards the right of the political spectrum that this is an occasion that deserves to be celebrated no matter what party Wab represents. I certainly agree with that message. And it has been a very long time coming. While Métis representation at that level has been achieved, and of course at the territory level, uh, many Indigenous territorial premiers have been elected, uh, this is a first for First Nations peoples at the provincial level. And before becoming a politician, Wab Kanu actually did a lot of really interesting things. He was a rapper, he was a journalist, and uh, hosted uh, lots of things on CBC, and he even worked in post-secondary administration. I felt that the message in his acceptance speech was a very beautiful one. Quote, I was given a second chance in life. I'd like to think I made good on that opportunity. And he said, my life became immeasurably better when I stopped making excuses and I started looking for a reason. And I found that reason in our family. I found that reason in our community. And I found that reason in our province and country. And he said, so young people out there who want to change your life for the better, you can do it. That is a powerful, powerful thing to say. We are very much in a different era now, decisively, and it is up to all Canadians, uh, Indigenous, non-Indigenous, new Canadians, how we progress through it, how we can chart a better future for all that is equitable, inclusive, and mutually prosperous. And I'm really excited to see not only where this uh, precedent-setting event uh, takes provinces like Manitoba, but uh, more importantly, what further representation for Indigenous Canadians can be achieved in the coming decade. Pretty excited about that. And speaking of reconciliation, I know that Resource Works does a fair bit of programming about the economic side of it. What's the latest there? Well, first of all, I have some very special news that I'm giving anyone who listens to us on Spice a little sneak preview of our Indigenous Partnership Success Showcase. Our annual conference is coming back for a fifth time, June 5th and 6th. So I hope uh, people mark their calendars uh, for next year. ResourceWorks uh, has, uh, since the start of this event, is excited to be hosting it again in Vancouver. And while tickets are not on sale yet, I would keep your eyes peeled in the next couple of weeks if you are interested in attending and want to make sure you are able to make your way into this uh, very popular conference. And as for emerging topics, uh, there's one thing that is getting lots of airplay in consideration right now, and that is major project ownership and equity participation by First Nations and Indigenous communities. Uh, leaders that I hear from regularly are putting a pretty big ask forward for the federal government uh, in developing a national benefits-sharing framework. Uh, they want to see natural resource projects, particularly those in highly productive industries like oil and gas, be given fair play. And that really comes down to development programs that involve Indigenous communities in natural resource management and benefits sharing. That's a fundamental step forward in the journey towards reconciliation and self-determination. We hear from many communities that they want to be active players in the resource economy. They see huge job opportunities there, skills development, and, of course, uh, revenues that can be directed to all sorts of priorities. And that can be accomplished uh, for them as owners and proponents 
in energy systems, whether that's uh, domestic uh, energy being produced for Canadian consumption or the very lucrative and highly valuable component of producing energy for global export. And that can include things like oil, natural gas, particularly in liquefied form, uh, coming, uh, as we will see very shortly, from the coast of British Columbia going to Asian markets, uh, or even hydrogen in the form of ammonia for export. Uh, one mechanism that is very key to this is providing a national loan guarantee program. And the idea there is that Indigenous communities, if they can access accessible low-rate borrowing, uh, will get swift financial influx backstopped by the government's AAA credit rating, uh, which can be harder for smaller uh, governments to achieve, First Nations ones in particular. Um, and the idea there is if we can establish a framework that enables this and ensures that all Indigenous communities across the country can benefit equally from resource projects, we will avoid some of the disparities um, that really, really uh, underscore um, the economic inequality faced by uh, Indigenous peoples. Um, province-specific programs like the ones in Alberta and Saskatchewan uh, vary a little bit from each other. Uh, there's a bit of a focus on different sizes of projects, uh, different uh, total contribution or backstop amounts relative to the total investment. Um, and what leaders advocating for this idea really are stressing is that it's really key that um, we avoid creating further disparities. So communities of different sizes with different levels of experience engaging in major projects uh, can all be involved and yield some of the massive benefits that come from plugging into the highly productive resource economy that this country is founded on and continues to prosper from. They're really stressing this argument, and I fully agree that there should be no restrictions on the types of projects that are eligible uh, for loan guarantees. Um, you know, we, we have a lot of work to do to reverse this decadal trend of exclusion from the economy. Um, and judgment and choice really, really underpin self-determination. Uh, what communities say they want to invest in should be respected. Uh, you know, not imposing external policy prescriptions like, we don't like these kinds of investments, so you guys shouldn't do them, uh, even if you judge that to be in your economic uh, and values-based self-interest. And a very useful strategy to navigate and neutralize ownership barriers, uh, such as those imposed by existing legislation and geographical remoteness needs to be established to facilitate Indigenous community participation in these opportunities. Um, leaders should be robustly involved in crafting and developing these programs as the federal government brings them in and ensuring that they align not only with the government's goals, but also Indigenous aspirations and objectives. Um, and ultimately, that will help ensure that such programs manifestly showcase a commitment to crafting a just and equitable future for Indigenous peoples. We have done a huge amount of work as a nation and uh, business sector has been a really big part of this um, in taking these initial steps, but there's still a little bit more work ahead. And I really hope that uh, federal decision makers are certainly listening to uh, Indigenous leaders as they make this ask. Now, last week we spoke about tumult in Ottawa, including the resignation of the Speaker of the House of Commons. How has that been resolved? Well, Greg Fergus, MP for Elmer, was just elected Speaker by his MP colleagues. And that's another big moment for representation. Just yesterday, he's the first black Canadian Speaker of the House of Commons. I've met Greg several times, and in fact, he even did an event with youth uh, with me on Zoom during the pandemic. And he's such a phenomenal pick. He's charismatic, deeply familiar with politics and procedure, fully bilingual as an Anglo-Quebecer, and represents a constituency that's actually right next door to Ottawa. 
And of course, many black Canadians see this as an event worth celebrating. Um, and this week's two sets of news, Webb Canoe's election as Premier-designate, Greg Fergus's election as Speaker, are just additional signs that we're on the path to meaningfully reflecting the cultural and ethnic diversity of our country. Um, country of immigrants, a country of First Peoples, um, a country that uh, has just an unbelievable amount of diversity and, um, and peace and mutual prosperity is, is a really good thing to continue to work towards. We're not there 100%, but we have all the conditions for success, and I'm glad to see these great sets of news for representation in a really meaningful way. Uh, very exciting times here. Now, one more thing. It's been a while since we've heard an update from Vancouver local politics. What's been happening? Uh, just yesterday, the uh, city council in Vancouver voted unanimously to direct staff to review the city's view cones policy. And uh, before I explain exactly what that is, let me just put it into context. Until 1973, Vancouver was in a building boom. We were emerging as a truly global city in this era, with much of the rich urban diversity you see in neighborhoods like the West End, a direct result of this approach. We were attracting people from all over the world, making strides and creating scores of horrible homes for them to live in. In fact, my own parents, first my dad when he came from Hungary, and my mother later when she joined him from Russia, lived in the West End. I was actually born there. And uh, it, for that reason, um, it has been a classic landing pad for immigrants from around the world. Uh, but when they arrived in the 1990s, uh, this was already in decline because the 1973 municipal election had brought in a notoriously anti-development slate that upended the growth-oriented approach to building new homes that had defined Vancouver. Years later, we're still paying the price. Vancouver is the third most unaffordable city in the world to rent and buy in, right up there with Sydney and Hong Kong. And uh, the current city council, with an ABC supermajority, is the result of affordability pressures hitting the absolute ceiling and voters demanding change. And now the council is seeking to deliver it. View cones ostensibly exist to protect mountain views from hundreds of corridors across the city, but really, they're just another way to limit construction and uh, stop thousands of new homes coming online. Um, so the fact that this motion to review this policy in downtown and the Broadway corridor passed, that's incredibly valuable. And I continue to look forward to seeing what else council can deliver to ensure that we can build the number of homes that people need uh, so the city can keep pace, uh, hopefully keep affordability pressures low, and enable everyone who calls the city home to have a safe, secure uh, home to live in. Margareta, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. You take care. You too, Megan.